Good morning. And Happy New Year. Well, we made it. Made it through the holidays. Advent, Christmas, and now Epiphany. You remember Advent, right? You know, the candles and the wreath, and uh, can you recite them? Uh, Peace, hope, joy, love, you know. We sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You know, you remember Advent. And you remember, well, wait, did did we forget something along the way? Yeah, we'll come back to that. So, but you remember Christmas though, right? I mean, Christmas, wow, the celebrations and, you know, the gifts and, and all that kind of stuff and the baby and, and, and majesty and, and, and marvelousness. And then there was all the food and the family and all that kind of stuff. But, but you remember Christmas, yes? But did we forget something along the way? Oh, and you remember Advent, yes? I mean, I mean Epiphany. You remember Epiphany? No. <laughs> Come on. The, 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 the modern, the, 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 the evangelical church, we don't do a very good job of remembering Epiphany. Do you even know what Epiphany is? Epiphany, the word Epiphany comes from the Greek word which means to manifest to fully disclose, to appear in all fullness. That's what the word means. Now, epiphany is a tradition within the church, and the tradition is to commemorate two particular events. One of those events is the arrival of the Magi, you remember the story from Matthew, the Magi, the three kings? They actually, in, in the early Catholic tradition, they actually have names. I don't know where they got the names, but they're actually named. Casper is one of them. I can't remember the other ones. But anyway, one of those events that Epiphany commemorates is the arrival of the Magi. Why? Because it is understood that the arrival of the Magi is the manifestation, the full disclosure that Jesus is the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. The other event that Epiphany commemorates is the baptism of Jesus. And you know the account of the baptism of Jesus, yes? Jesus coming out of the water, being baptized by John the baptizer. John was not a Baptist. He was a baptizer. We're not going to give that part of the church credit. He was a baptizer. And John records, the Gospels record, that when John sees Jesus, now a grown man, coming to be baptized, John cries out, And in the Latin, it almost makes me cry, because the Latin sounds like this, ecce, agnus dei quitolis peccata mundi, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus wants to be baptized, and John says no, and that kind of goes on, you know, cousins, how cousins fight. And anyway, as Jesus is coming out of the water, 
the account is given to us that the heavens split open, literally unfold. A dove descends, and there's an audible voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And the church commemorates the baptism because in that moment it celebrates the full revelation, the full disclosure, the manifestation that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. Ah, the incarnation. Maybe that's what we forgot along the way. But you might say, no, 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 no. We didn't forget the incarnation. I mean, Advent's all about the incarnation. Remember, Mary, Gabriel, baby, womb, conception, you know, waiting, Emmanuel, uh, you know, uh, God with us. I mean, we didn't forget the incarnation in the Advent, and we certainly didn't forget the incarnation in Christmas. That's what it's all about. We got a baby now. Yeah, we can put something in a manger. We can, you know, angels, shepherds. I mean, wow. Okay. But is it altogether possible that while we're remembering the event, we forgot the purpose? And the purpose of the incarnation is? Uh, we'll come back to that. But if the incarnation is so important, how is it that we forget? What it, why do we forget? How do we forget that the incarnation, the purpose of the incarnation, how is it that we could forget that? I suggest to you there's three reasons why we forget the incarnation, the the, the purpose of the incarnation. Number one, the incarnation is inconceivable. It is beyond our wildest imagination. We can't even imagine that God, let alone a deity or a divinity, can become human. I mean, come on. Divinity is way out there. It's big word, transcendent far above us. The whole idea of, of, of a God becoming ick just is beyond our imagination. It's inconceivable. And for those of you who know the movie The Princess Bride, you've already latched on to that, so I'm going to move on. Another reason is because it's incomprehensible. Now, incomprehensible is different than inconceivable. Inconceivable literally means I can't believe it. Incomprehensible means, well, okay, maybe, maybe I can imagine it. So, I'll give you that there is a divinity. I'll give you that there's a God. But, wow, that, that God becoming a human being, whew, that, that, that's just fraught with all kinds of difficulties. I mean, how did that work? Was it, was it God transforming in, into flesh? Was it a, a flesh that had two different natures? Was God kind of crowding? What was going on inside? And it's so difficult to understand. Which brings us to the third reason, and that is, well, it's just irrelevant. I mean, if it's that hard to imagine, if it's that hard to understand, and all it does is cause confusion and frustration and tension. Forget about it. I mean, we can still celebrate Advent without the incarnation, right? I mean, we could still talk about waiting, 
We could still have candles and wreaths and stuff. We can still do that. We can still have Christmas without incarnation, right? All we need is a baby in a manger. That's it. Why get all caught up in the complications of the baby being God? Yikes. And besides, our culture is coming to a point now where they're making very legitimate arguments, compelling arguments in some circles, I suppose, that we don't even need God. We can live an ethical life. We can be good to each other. We can thrive. I mean, just <laughs> just look at your news feed. Just look at your newspaper. Just look at, the, uh, look at anything. We humans can take care of ourselves. Right. And in some cases, people argue, you know, this whole idea of a God, this whole idea of a deity, that's all up here anyway. There is no God. We created God, which by extension means we are God. So you see, folks, maybe because the incarnation is incomprehensible, it's inconceivable and irrelevant, maybe it makes no difference at all. Maybe it's okay to forget. Let's do the thing, but we can forget about the purpose of the incarnation. But what are the risks? What are the risks if we forget the purpose of the incarnation? And I suggest to you that the, the risks are darkness, deception, and death. You got it? Darkness, deception, and death is what we risk if we abandon, if we forget the incarnation. These are the issues that the Apostle John addresses in his letter to his believing community. And we're going to take a look at that this morning, so I invite you now to take your Bible, whether it's in front of you, whether it's in your hand, whether it's in your memory, good for you, uh, your device, whatever, and I invite you to turn to the first letter of John. Now, that's not common real estate for us, so for a, a way to get there, start at the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the New Testament, and then go forward. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. So, the first letter of John, and together we're going to read the first chapter, uh, all 10 verses, don't get excited. And then the first two verses of chapter 2, that's going to be our focus for this morning. But my friends, before we jump into John's letter, because this letter, many scholars believe this letter was probably written somewhere around 90 A.D. John was an aged man. But before he wrote this letter, he wrote his gospel. John of Zebedee the disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry, the apostle of Jesus when Jesus ascends to be with the Father. This John was an eyewitness to the life, to the teachings, to the death, and to the resurrection of Jesus, Mashiach. And he writes his gospel to tell the world of his firsthand experience of Jesus the Christ. And before we read his letter, 
we're going to take a moment to read from his gospel to provide context. So if you want to put your finger right there at 1 John, and if you want to join me, I invite you to join me first to the gospel of John, and we're going to be reading from the first chapter. And before we do that, allow me quickly to introduce myself. My name is Greg Manship. I am a friend of Northminster Presbyterian Church. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. Don't hold that against me, please. I do love Jesus, and I invite you to pray with me. Our wonderful God, Heavenly Father, we pray now by Your Spirit, the Spirit that inspired this Word, will be the Spirit that will open this Word to our understanding. Open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts, open our ears, that we might hear and comprehend the truth, that that truth will transform us to go out into the world, to be Your hands, to be Your feet, to be Your heart. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, for You indeed are our rock and our salvation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, it is an ancient tradition to honor the reading of the gospel, and I invite you to do that with me. Would you please stand as we read from the gospel of John? Chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, listen now to the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it or fully comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness, that he might bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh. <laughs> And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized, manifested through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, 
He alone has explained Him. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I invite you to please have a seat and join with me the reading from John's letter, which follows about 25 or 30 years after the gospel. 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. What was from the beginning, do you see the connection? John started his gospel in the beginning. He begins his letter. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands, what we have beheld, what our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be complete in you. And this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar, and His Word is not in us. My dear children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. So, what are the risks if we forget the Incarnation? We've already listed those. Darkness, deceit, deception, and death. John addresses this, and in his letter, in his gospel, he gives us the answers to two important questions. Question number one, why should we remember the incarnation? Why should we remember the purpose of the incarnation? And the second question is, what should we remember about the incarnation? Question number one, why? In his letter, he makes it very clear three-part answer to why. Number one, it's real. Look how he begins his letter. He's saying, friends, we've touched, we've seen, we've heard, we've comprehended. Here's something for you. Have you ever thought about you spending time with Jesus while he was here on earth, and he says, excuse me, I have to take a walk out into the woods. And you're thinking, well, that's just blasphemous. That's just gross. No, that's just human. 
How many times during our celebration of Christmas have you heard anybody speak to the fact that someone had to change the diaper? Oh, no, 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 that's blasphemous. No, that's human. You see, it was real. This is not the figment of somebody's imagination. This is not some extension of Greek or Roman mythology. What John is saying is that I was there. My brother was there. My brothers in faith were there. My sisters were there. And we have brought that eyewitness to you. You can trust it. You can believe it. And what is it that we saw? What is it that we heard? What is it that we held, touched with our hands? What is it that we comprehended? God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Where we read from the gospel and it reads, and the word became flesh, fascinating Greek. Because the Greek there literally means that the word pitched a tent. Pitched a tent of flesh to live among us. It's real. The second reason why we should remember the, uh, the, the incarnation is because it's relational. John says, I'm telling, what we have touched, what we have heard, what we have beheld is from the beginning. Now, that language right there is remarkable because the language there literally means not just, and, and note this, not just from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but it means from the beginning. Do you see the hop? From the beginning. So it's not just baptism. Yeah, that's when it starts. No, it's not just birthday. Nope, that's not when it starts. It's not conception. No. Way over here. Before time. What are the first words of the first verse of the book of Genesis? First book of the Bible. In the beginning. It's the same language. The incarnation is relational because the Word was with God from the beginning. And then the Word shows up in flesh. And by showing up in flesh, what now, what relationship is now established? God's relationship with us, with humans. Not just teaching, not just prophets, not just Moses, but ta-da! And then, by entering into a relationship with the incarnate Son of God, by entering into a relationship with Jesus, we then have the privilege of entering into a relationship with each other. It's a big circle. It's a big community. It's wonderful. The incarnation is relational. The third reason why we should remember is because it's revelational. Big fancy words. I was just trying to figure out some way to get A-L on the end of all three words. But revelational. But the incarnation is a revelation. It's a manifestation. It's a full disclosure. Jesus was even quizzed by one of His disciples. One of the disciples said, you know, show us the Father. And bless his heart, i got to believe that Jesus had a great sense of humor. Because when Philip asked that question, i got to believe Jesus looked at him really quizzically like, what? 
It's, it's me. We are one. If you see me, if you know me, you know whom? The Father. So why remember the incarnation? Because it's real. Because it's relational and because it's revelational. Which brings us to the second question that John addresses, which is what should we remember about the incarnation? And it segues right in. Because it's, if it's revelational, the question is what is revealed in the incarnation? And again, three-part answer. Answer number one, God is light. God is purity. God is truth. And for John, the word light means so many different things, but in this particular context, it means truth. And so what John is saying is that in Jesus, as the incarnate Son of God, we see the full manifestation, the full revelation of the truth of God. And what is that truth? Which brings us to the second answer. And that truth is that God Himself is love. Now, folks, I know we're in love with love. I know that. But I'm here to share the good news with you, which is that love is not a sentimentality. Love is not an emotion. Love is not the gratification of some physical or mental or emotional desire. That is not love. God is love. And if that is true, what do you think is God's desire for us? Don't answer. Chew on it. But if, God's if God is love, then His desire for us is for us to know that love and to share that love both with Him and with those who trust in Him. Again, it's the relational piece of that. Which brings us to the third answer, the third part of that. Because an expression of that love is life. To enjoy existence. And not just mere existence, not just getting along, but robust, full, rich life. Now, I know the argument. Are you kidding me? Have you seen the world in which we live? Have you seen the people with whom we have to interact? Have you seen my latest medical records? Have you seen… fill in the blank. The Incarnation did not come to save us from ourselves. The Incarnation came to save us for Him. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. But you don't need to be afraid of that because what? I have overcome the world. The incarnation is here to bring life. And here's the kicker. How is that life provided to us? Nathan and the team did a wonderful job of picking the songs with the words in it because Jesus makes it clear makes it clear when he asks his disciples first time 
Who do you think I am? After seeing all the works, after hearing all the teaching, after hearing all the people's, seeing all the people's responses, who do you think I am? Well, of course, Peter jumps right up and says, you're the Mashiach. You're the anointed one. You're the one who's going to come and conquer our enemies. You're the one who's going to preserve our lives by taking us out of prisons and freeing us from oppression. And Jesus said, oh my God. I mean, I think literally God, Jesus could say that, you know, because of the relationship that he has. You know, oh my, my God, Peter, no. That, no, no, no. The Son of Man must be handed over must suffer and die. Now, you would think that that alone would be enough, but no, they, a second time. A second time, Jesus says to them, look, I, I, I have, I'm sorry, I have to suffer, I have to be handed over, and I have to die. And you would think that would be enough, but no, there's a third time, Mark chapter 10. If you're going to memorize a verse, I recommend that you memorize this one. Mark chapter 10, verse 44, a third time, Jesus says to them, I am here to be handed over, to suffer, to die. Verse 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom. That's the kicker. Life comes to us through His death. And the big word there is in verse 2 of chapter 2, the word propitiation. Who knows that word? Who uses that? Well, okay. We, <laughs> we do have audience participation. I saw hands. The Greek word here has two concepts. Concept number one, propitiation. Propitiation literally means to take on the anger, to take on the penalty of, of the wrath that you have incurred. It's to make glad. It's to appease. Lots of different concepts here. John is arguing that the incarnation, what the incarnation does is that in the incarnation, Jesus takes on suffering and death. The death that is the penalty because of our decisions, our decisions, it's not something that God imposed upon us. It's our decisions not to be faithful. It's our decision not to be righteous. It's our decision to say things are irrelevant. On and on it goes. And we've created this huge gap, this huge gulch between ourselves and God. And Jesus, as the Word of God, comes to become human and in His human form. And listen, this is why He had to be human. He had to suffer. He had to die. It's cliche, but he was born to die. And in that death, he takes our penalty. He takes the wrath of God, and that is propitiation. The second concept is expiation. In expiation, you probably get it because of the EX in front of it. Expiation is that he takes away. This thing's getting to me. It's expiation. In other words, what he does is that all of that sin, all of that separation, everything that gets in the way between us and God has been placed on this human body. And that human body was placed on one of these. I would not bet that it looked like this. 
but it was on one of these. And on one of these, he stayed out of love for us because he knew that in the death of that body, in the death of that incarnation, he is providing the washing away of sin. He's taking on the wrath of God, and through all of that provides us with what? Life. Why should we remember the incarnation? Because it's real. It's relational. And it's revelational. It tells us something about God. What is it about the incarnation we should remember? What is it that it tells us about God? That God is light. God is truth. And that truth is that God is love. And has great compassion such, such that he condescended. That word's not necessarily a derogatory term. Condescend means to come down with. And so he condescended in the incarnation. And in that carnation, he was capable, he was willing to take on the wrath, to take on the rejection, to take on death itself so that in that death, everything that separates us from God is removed. It's ours. Really. Which leaves us then with one last question. How do we ensure that we don't forget? Because we're going to. We're going to get all caught up in stuff of our lives. We're going to get all caught up in the machinations of church or work or life. And we're going to forget about, well, we won't forget about the event probably because Advent and Christmas will come back around. Oh, yeah, you know, the baby. But how do we ensure we don't forget the purpose, the meaning? And I suggest three ways. One, we recollect like this as often as possible, whether it's corporately like this or in small groups or whatever, but we recollect. We get back together. We interact. We converse. We discuss. We argue. But we become the body. We recollect as individuals, and corporately we become the body of Christ. Second, we reunite. It's one thing to come together as a fellowship. It's one thing to come together as a party. It's another thing to come together and then reunite around a common faith, a common cause. Let's study together. Let's read together. Let's pray together. Let's recite confessions together. But let us reunite around our common faith in the one who became flesh. The third way We reenact. Have you ever asked the question, why do we celebrate communion? Well, I take that back. I'm sure you have. But I assure you that we don't celebrate communion just because Jesus said so. We don't celebrate communion just because Paul write in, wrote in his letter to Corinth, the church in Corinth, this is what you should do. We do it because of the meaning that Jesus gave to it. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, was celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. And if you remember from your Old Testament teaching or reading 
The Passover is the commemoration. It's the celebration of God's faithfulness to bring the Israelites, to bring His people out of bondage, out of captivity in Egypt, and to bring them to the land that He had promised their ancestors. During the Passover feast, there's the eating of bread, what's called matzah. There's also the drinking of wine. Some of us have been to Seder dinners, and and we know all of that. But the question is, what did Jesus do with Passover that helps us to remember the incarnation? And He did this. While they were eating, He took bread, and He broke it. Do you remember what He said? Take and eat. This is my body. And the question is, how do you get from matzah, which is bland, there's no yeast, it's just, ah. how do you get from matzah to Jesus' body? The matzah in Jewish thought represents God's initiative because we are impoverished. We cannot find our own righteousness. We cannot effect our own righteousness. And so the bread represents God's initiative. This will come this way. And so Jesus says, this is my body. This is what it represents. You've been taught that the bread represents God's initiative. I'm taking the initiative. My body is going to be broken. My life is going to be given so that you might have life that is inexhaustible. And it's the same way with the wine. The wine and the bread come together to celebrate God's initiative. And Jesus says, this cup, this cup is no longer the Mosaic covenant. This cup is no longer, Moses, I promise that I will, I will, I will, I will. Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, which is God saying, it is finished. I have done it. It is yours through the incarnation. I invite you to come join me to celebrate the incarnation. That's what this is. This is not perfunctory. This is not performative. This is not, oh, this is what we always do the first time. No. This is how we remember the incarnation. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God taking on human flesh, as mysterious and as marvelous as that is, it is the focus of our faith. It is the foundation of our life. I invite you to listen now to the words of the institution as they come to us from the Apostle Paul when he writes his letter to the church in Corinth. He writes this, I give to you that which was given to me, that on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body that's broken for you. God's initiative. Do this in remembrance of me. And as they continued to celebrate the feast, 
after they had eaten dinner. Jesus took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave the cup to his disciples, saying, Take and drink. This is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, that is shed for the forgiveness of sins. All of you drink of it. And then Paul adds this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death. You do remember the incarnation. You do remember God's initiative until he comes again. And why till then? Because my friends, my brothers and sisters, when Jesus returns and we know and experience the fullness of life in him, there's no more reason to remember his death.